So today we continue in our Advantageous series, a study of hope, peace, joy, love, the, the cornerstones of the Christian life brought to us through Christ. And so God, please today in these moments, put your truth, put your peace in our hearts and minds as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned last week, the word Advent means arrival, and it's the four Sundays on the church calendar that lead up to Christmas as a time to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Jesus coming into this world and to reflect on these blessings that come into our lives because of his coming. And last week, we talked about hope. If you missed it, you can go online and catch up. Uh, And today, peace. Everybody just breathe, peace. Needed in our world. Needed in my heart. I'm not sure about you, maybe, but peace, a needed gift. Several hundred years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah, who has a book by his name, as many of you know, in the Old Testament, he spoke about, specifically spoke about, as some of the other prophets did as well, down to details of where Jesus would be born. It's an amazing study that just is one of the strong verifications of the reliability of Scripture. But uh, Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 9, 6, for un- speaking prophetically, of course, to this future time. Unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Note the differentiation. Unto us, child is what? Born. Son, capital S, God the Son, given. Child as to his humanity, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. Can't wrap my human mind around that, but that's okay. He's God and I'm not. Unto us, a child is born. He came into the world at a particular point in time as a human being. Unto us, a son, God the Son, is given. Given, not born, not coming into, an exist- into existence at a particular time and place because he's always existed. He's God. That's a characteristic of deity. Significant little phrase there. The government will be upon his shoulder. The verse continues. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Yes, he is. Everlasting Father. Doesn't mean he's the Father. It means Trinity, one God, three persons again. Can I wrap my human? No, that's okay. It's who God is, revealed in Scripture. But it's talking there about his, the characteristic of Jesus. He's like a loving father. And then, here it is, what we're talking about today. His name, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. In Luke 2, uh, an angel appeared to the shepherds in the fields to declare to them that the Savior of the world had been born. And that's interesting. Lowly shepherds. I mean, in some people's minds, couldn't it be the, fir- the, the news first delivered? Shouldn't it have been to, to, to more important people? More valued, more, more, more influential people? <laughs> I love what God does. Surprises us sometimes. And I, I love how it shows that God places value on people that, they, that sometimes others of us may, may look down on. Angel appeared to the shepherds. That's cool. And then verse 13, 14 says that there was suddenly a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Now, because Jesus coming? Thank you. I can guess who that was, even though I can't see it. Peace. 
The gift of peace is tied to the announcement of God's entrance into the world in human flesh. Don't miss it. Don't miss this. There's no, there's no true and lasting peace apart from Christ. How long have the peace talks been going on in the Middle East? Won't happen. Until and if people start to surrender their own lives to the Prince of Peace. Before we talk about some of the specific ways that peace of Jesus comes to us, I want to acknowledge some words that maybe some of you are thinking right now out of Matthew 10, 34, where Jesus essentially says, it's not always peace, but, but I bring a sword. Oh, that, does that contradict? No. No, but you've got to understand what, what he's saying. In, in these words in, in Matthew 10, did I say Mark before? It's Matthew 10, 34. Those words of Jesus about him bringing a sword, he's referring to the fact that his coming, yeah, sometimes brings division. He refers to some family relationships in that passage who experienced division because of his coming. In other words, because Jesus calls people to fully surrender to him, family members are sometimes divided, sadly, and breaks God's heart. Sons will turn against fathers, daughters against mothers in verse 35. Why? Because a son may say, well, I'm choosing to follow Jesus in my life. And he's excited about that. But his dad, his father, or, or vice versa, angrily says, I'm in charge of my own life. I'm not following Jesus. Why would you do that? It happens. There comes this sad division because of a person's decision to follow Jesus. That, that's the sword Jesus is talking about there, in case that popped into your mind. The word for peace, as most of us know in the Old Testament, is uh, the word shalom, which is, it has a richer and broader meaning than we may think of peace. It's more than merely a reference to uh, peace of mind or peace with, with our enemies, which are good things, and we're going to talk about those this morning. But, but, but shalom means, means things like flourishing, flourishing of life. It means soundness, wholeness. As a matter of fact, even today in Israel, the shalom greeting is literally, may you be filled with well-being. That's cool. You, you can go ahead and share that with one another after when you're greeting one another. The only way that true peace can be truly experienced is by receiving God's forgiveness that comes to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus and then allowing his peace to grow in us by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we grow in our walk with Christ and a work in progress, we are. Why does Yoda come out occasionally when I'm up here? I don't know. But it's true. We're a work in progress. I need God by His Spirit to, uh, to work in my mind and my heart and my trust quotient to, to cultivate the peace that He wants me to experience in my daily life, no matter what's going on around me. That's why the Apostle Paul includes peace as one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, there's nine characteristics. It's not necessarily a conclusive, exhaustive list, but it's an important list, and, for, and peace is a part of it. Good fruit is the outcome when a tree is healthy and alive. Well, if it's healthy, it's going to be alive, right? Good fruit. 
Fruit is a metaphor, of course, for the character development that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in our life. So, so again, we can experience peace in, in troubled times or, or peace in our relationships with other people as far as it depends on us, as we'll see from Romans in a moment. So let's look at these three areas this morning. Peace, first of all, in troubled times. It's possible to possess a deep sense of peace in our hearts and minds in the midst of life difficulties. And many of you, I've heard, have given testimony to that. And not that it's not a struggle. It's a struggle I face. I commented to my wife last evening that it seems like often, not always, but often what I'm preaching on that week leading up, Hmm, it's a struggle in that area. And to be honest, this week was one of those weeks. That, that evasive peace that I know is a gift God wants to give me. Marlo, what do you, come on, trust God, trust his word, talk to God about what's going on. You know, like this, this we're all, as Christ followers, probably face that. As I say sometimes, I'm made of the same stuff as you. The words of Jesus, John 16, 33, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. He wants that for us. He, he says, here on earth, verse 33, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Yay. But take heart. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Wow. There's a lot in that phrase. In the very first verse, actually, of this same chapter, John 16, Jesus starts by saying, I've told you all these things so that you won't abandon your faith. And he said, you read the preceding verses and chapters and a lot of good stuff. Jesus says, he gets to this point, says, I have told you these things so you won't abandon your faith. I've seen it, as some of you have probably, and, or it, maybe it's happened to you. Over the years, trouble comes and, and some, they do that, abandon their faith. It shows that, that, their, uh, that their roots in Jesus are, are shallow. And, and yes, it's difficult. Life is hard and painful and all that. But, but, but they do what Jesus says here that he hopes they won't do. And they walk away from God. It's so sad, it breaks God's heart. You see, Jesus never, he never tried to sugarcoat his message, did he? Like some preachers do. You know, like the message we may hear sometimes on TV or wherever. If you, if you choose to follow Jesus, life will be awesome all the time. Your life on a graph will always be up and to the right. Uh, no. And those that take that in, when trouble hits, they go, what's wrong with me? Don't I have enough faith? Did, did, I, did I do something wrong? And God, God's punishment. No. Not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus said. Oh, he said he'd be there. He said he's the overcomer and we're under him, so we're, we're, we're good. But be careful how you define good. Even Romans 8, 28, sometimes misused, misapplied. All things work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. And good, good, good. But good doesn't mean trouble-free. Good means faithful to God no matter what. Good means He's creating in us a, a greater character development to become like Christ so we can reflect His love and grace in, in, in the world that, that needs Him. Jesus was honest. You're going to have trouble in this broken world. 
Oh, we can find ample reasons to rationalize our anxiety, our propensity to worry. And in the natural, there may be reasons for that. But as Christ followers, we need to remember that we live and, uh, and order our lives in close connection with a supernatural God, with an all-wise God, an all-loving, an all-powerful God. That's why Paul in the New Testament wrote and was, was able to record two of the most phenomenal verses in the Bible about how we can trade our anxiety for his peace. Anybody need that? And some of you already know where I'm going. Over to Philippians. A little New Testament letter. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You need to memorize these verses. Maybe some of you have. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer, uh, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what will happen? Next verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Powerful verses from God. There's a peace equation here, and it involves two key words. It involves the word nothing, and it involves the word everything. We're told to worry about the things we can't control or our family members that we love so much. We're, we're told, no. No. We're told to worry about nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, pray. Talk to God. Be honest with God about how you're feeling. Tell him to replace those thoughts and feelings with thoughts and feelings that he would have us think and feel in line with his character of faithfulness and power to carry us and provide for us. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, pray. But in prayer, Commit everything to God. That's, that, that, again, a, a great contrast. Genuine prayer will lead to a place of genuine trust, which will open the door for us to live in His peace. And that's a gift from God. Researcher Dr. Lucas Lafreniere said this about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try and prevent misery in the future. For chron he says, for chronic worriers, this process leads them to be continually distressed in order to avoid later events that never happen. Worry, he says, sucks the joy, and I would add, sucks the peace out of the here and now. Good words. In Dr. Lafreniere's study that he did of worrisome people, literally, he found in that particular study, 91.4, I'm pretty precise, 91.4% of their worries never actually happened. <laughs> Most of us know that in our lives, don't we? I, I can't remember where I read this, but I wrote it down. The devil wants us to worry about what's next so we can't enjoy what's now. He does. He, he's, he's got a plan for your life, as we talked about a a couple of weeks ago, the end of our soul care series. I would add that our spiritual enemy wants us to worry about what's next or what's now or maybe even what was so that we lose out on sensing God's beautiful gift of peace in our hearts and our minds every day. Satan doesn't want you to experience that. No way. Because, because that will cause you to, to, to thank God. And to love God more. 
Satan wants us to worry because doing that erodes our, our, our trust and, our, and, and thus our relationship with God, right? Satan likes that stuff when we lean that way. <laughs> Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, no matter what's happening, God is worthy to be thanked and praised. Let your requests be made known to God. He wants to hear from you. Dialogue with you and whisper his strength and grace and peace back to you in those prayer conversations. Prayer includes Supplication and thanksgiving, aspects of prayer that help to cultivate his peace in our lives. Supplication, what is it? Simply, a type of prayer that honestly expresses a need. Supplication, fancy word, just means it's the, it's the God help me kind of prayer. That's what that is. So, supplication with thanksgiving. Expressing gratitude to God for, for everything, for his character of grace and faithfulness, for a, for a loving church family, whatever it is, for the things we we may take for granted. <laughs> on occasion, I'll find myself in my kitchen at home with the hot water on, waiting. Can you believe it? Having to wait 15 seconds maybe for hot water to arrive. And I've, right? And I find myself on occasion getting frustrated with that hot water tank down. And then in the moment, sometimes God will remind me of when I went to Kenya in 1985 as a 21-year-old kid and observed the Maasai people having to walk a long way every, every day to get water. You know, those, those thoughts come, and I'm thankful that God reminds me of that. I need those reminders sometimes. Be thankful. It changes worry to trust, and that's a habit worth cultivating, and that leads to living with God's gift of peace, filling our minds no matter what is going on in life. But verse 8 in this passage of Philippians 4 is so vital, so important, because it addresses the, the power of the mind to shape how we feel and think. Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts. I like that phrase. Fix your thoughts. Focus your, on what is true. On, again, not a conclusive list, but you get the point Paul is making. Fix your thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable, right, and what is pure, lovely, admirable. Think about these things, the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think about those things. Think about those things instead when anxiety starts to, to rise up. So, I need to move on quickly. Peace with others. The coming of Jesus into this world sets us up to enjoy peace in our relationships with other people. Apologist and speaker uh, Michael Ramsden talked about a ministry colleague of his who was once uh, speaking and he asked his audience to close their eyes and imagine a picture of peace. What did that look like? <laughs> he asked some of them. So what, did, what, what came to mind? What picture came to mind as you thought about peace? What peace is? One person described a beautiful field with flowers, another person a beautiful landscape of snow-capped mountains, someone else spoke of a tranquil lake. After everyone described what they imagined peace to be, they, they noticed one thing in common. There were no people in any of their mental pictures. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Maybe not surprising. And Ramsden commented, isn't it interesting? When asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is eliminate everyone else. We sometimes likely 
underestimate our contribution to a lack of peace in relationships, eh? Listen to Paul talk beautifully about the coming together of two fighting factions because of what Christ done on the cross. Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. And back then it was for the Jews, which is the New Testament context. There was the Jews. And then it didn't matter. You were just lumped all together in one category. The Gentiles. Okay, so that's where we're at. Uh, he brought together the Jews and the Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Ah, it's good. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. If he can do it for the Jews and the Gentiles, if you know anything about that story, he can do it for you and said person. Romans 12, 18. Paul speaks to us a little bit more about this. If it is possible, huh, may not always be possible. But if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do what you can do. And sometimes it'll be reciprocated, other times not. And some of, you, some of you sadly know that. And then a little later, Romans 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. What Jesus did on the cross makes peace possible between people, even between enemies. But for that peace to be experienced, it requires that we apply to our lives what Jesus made available to us. Grace that we can display to others. Forgiveness, like we've received, that we can release to others who've wronged us. Humility, which Jesus definitely showed stepping from heaven and eternity to this dusty planet. Yeah, humility, a required characteristic in our lives if we're to experience relational peace with others. As, as far as depends on you. So own your part and respond accordingly in that relationship where peace may be lacking right now. Satan wants to steal the relational peace that that Jesus wants for us between one another, especially in the body of Christ. Because if Satan can get followers of Jesus fighting and holding resentment and, you know, slinging mud at each other, you know, he effectively interrupts God's good work in our individual lives and also impedes the witness of the body of Christ in a hurting and broken world. My friend, if there is someone that God is bringing to your mind with whom relational peace has been broken, go to them. Plan now. Commit now before God in this moment. Even if you miss the next little bit of what I say, if you talk to God about this and you know it's a situation you need to address, do it. I encourage you, do it. Go to them. Endeavor to make peace. Ask forgiveness. Offer forgiveness. No strings attached. As far as depends on you, do it. Do what God would want you to do, to live at peace with one another. Give the seed 
of peace and opportunity to be planted in that broken relationship. Next point, briefly, we'll wrap up. We're going to have communion together. A celebration, a remembering of, of, of why we can even have this type of peace. And this next point is, is the biggie, is the foundation. Peace with God, relationally, right? Foundation of experiencing any other kind of peace that we're talking about. We go to Romans uh, chapter 5. Paul again, he wrote oh, about half of the New Testament. And uh, there's some good stuff there. Man, oh man, you should check it out. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, in other words, because of what I've said already, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Oof. Packed, packed full. I am not going to create another sermon on the fly right now, as much as I'm tempted. What, what beautiful verses. Again, a couple of verses that you may want to memorize. This, this word, justified, therefore having been justified. Justified means just that we are put in right standing with God our Father. Put in right relationship. Not by anything we've done, but the grace of Jesus, right? His, his death and resurrection. And, and putting, being put in right standing individually with God, happens immediately when I choose to surrender to Him and trust Him as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. Instantly. Justified. Oh, wow. What a gift. The debt of sin. Too big for us to handle. Which is precisely why Jesus came. We have, as I said last week, we have Christmas. Because God knew we needed what we celebrate at Easter. Jesus came to earth for the sole purpose of going to the cross to pay the just penalty of our sin, which was death. Sin is that bad and God is that holy. He died so we could live eternally with our loving creator. And in his death and resurrection, our debt of sin that hung over my head is paid, taken away, dealt with fully, and I am justified. Put in right standing with God. The righteous judge. The perfect judge. The loving judge. Jesus died so we wouldn't have to. Jesus died so we could live eternally. What a beautiful thing. Famous preacher, Billy Graham, who went to be with Jesus in 2018, had a simple little outline of the good news message. He called it Steps to Peace with God. Wouter, you might know about this. He's a chaplain with the Billy Graham Association. Just a sorry about that insider joke there. I know, not much of a joke, was it? Steps with Peace with Some of you have maybe used that little booklet in sharing your faith with people over the years. And I, and I love it, the simplicity of the gospel broken down into four things. You can remember this as you go away today to share with your family member as God brings you an opportunity to share over Christmas dinner or wherever. Number one, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Number two, uh, there's, there's a problem though. It's my sin that I was born with. I can't, I can't remove it myself no matter how hard I work. And that's actually good news. 
And number three, though, there's a, there's a solution to the problem. And again, it's not working harder, being better. No, it's a person. Solution is a person, Jesus Christ. Third, fourthly, we can know all this, won't change anything. It's got to move six inches to our heart and change by our life commitment and our surrender to Jesus Christ change our eternal trajectory and put us instantly into a relationship that's personal and eternal with the God who created us. It's awesome. There's a prayer that Billy Graham would lead people in to help them put words to uh, the desire in their hearts uh, to surrender to Jesus. And if, if you want to make that commitment today, my friend, those in this physical space or those online, maybe you're all alone and you're traveling and you're in a hotel room or you're at home sitting on your comfortable couch. Well, these chairs are pretty comfortable too. I'll just have you know. But anyway, uh, if you want to make that commitment of your life to Christ, you can. You can. And it's as simple as understanding what I've just shared and saying, God, I don't, I don't know what's on the other side fully, but I know you love me so much I can trust you fully because you Love me most and know me best. And so it's not about these words. God knows your heart, but this, this little prayer is something that can put words to that desire in your heart. And if you're in this place or engaging online and you want to make your, uh, this commitment of your life to Jesus Christ right now, you can do it by expressing this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness as I turn from my sin now. Jesus, I believe you died to pay the penalty for my sin and that you were raised to life by God's power. I choose now to place my trust in you as my Savior and to follow you as the Lord and leader of my life from this day on. Please guide my life and help me to obey you and your word and grow in my relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.